Tonight I'm going to start by going through a couple of examples of a topic that you have heard preached and taught here many times over the years. To me, it's actually one of the scariest topics that any Christian should uh, think about. It is uh, relating to the topic of apostasy. It's not going to be the actual topic of the sermon, but this is going to lead into where I'm going. Apostasy is really nothing more than just a falling away from the faith. The Bible is very clear, Hebrews 10.31, that it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. I don't know exactly what that means, because I don't feel like I've ever fallen into His hands that bad. And I'll tell you, I don't ever want to find out what it means. When I think of the state of apostasy, I know the Apostle Paul warns about those that fall away from the faith, the false preachers, the false prophets, the wolves in sheep's clothing. It's actually an interesting topic to think about. I don't know about you folks, I've been saved for 32 years, a little over. I cannot imagine a point in my life where things are so bad for me that I would actually renounce my Savior. Now, I say that with, with as little pride as possible. I know I'm a human being. I know I sin. I know I'm fallible. I know that virtually anything is, quote, possible, but I certainly pray to God that I never find myself in that state. First example of modern-day apostasy that I want to discuss, and all three of these individuals are relatively well-known in contemporary Christian culture. Names didn't really jump out at me, but apparently they mean something. First one I want to talk about is a man named Bart Campolo. Anybody ever heard of Bart Campolo? Maybe you've heard of his father, Tony. Tony Campolo is a longtime famous preacher, author. I uh, believe he used to do the TBN, the 700 Club Circuit. Very well known. Bart, his son, obviously growing up as a preacher's kid, early profession of faith as a youngster. 2011, I'm just going to refer to him as Bart so we're not confusing the, the two Campolos. Bart was involved in a fairly serious bicycle accident, which coincidentally or not, actually took place in Cincinnati, Ohio, because that's where he was living at the time. This accident was so severe, it cracked his bicycle helmet. He was placed in the hospital for a fairly long period of time, and he actually suffered some temporary short memory loss. Prior to that bicycle accident, Bart had been struggling with his faith. Didn't really know what he believed anymore. Was married to a woman. His wife was kind of a marginal professing Christian who, long leading up to this, was calling her faith into question. Once he came out of that situation, he proclaimed himself an atheist. Second example is a man that I've never heard of. Apparently the younger crowd, the hipper crowd, might have heard of him. They're all gone today, so I doubt any of you have ever heard of him. No offense. He's a man named John Steingrad, or Steingard, I'm sorry. He was the former lead singer of a group named Hawk Nelson. Alex just whispered something, so I know he's heard of him. You just fingered yourself there, Alex. Anyway, John Steingard was another individual that grew up as a preacher's kid. He was the lead singer of this Christian band, and, you know, I use that term for what it's worth. I don't know anything about him. 
But he too caused a little bit of a stir in May of 2020 when he declared that he was an atheist. Now unlike what I just told you about Bart, John actually listed some reasons of why he fell away from the faith. He credits uh, his struggles with the concept of evil in the world, uh, the, the concept of the Bible doesn't answer all the questions, the Old Testament God versus the New Testament God, the old hate versus love thing, contradictions, problematic responses, the oppressive uh, nature the Bible has towards women, especially in 1 Timothy, and then his own depression. At least unlike Bard, he gave some reasons. Don't agree with him, but anyway, there you are. The last one I actually find to be a little bit more interesting. He's a, he's a man named Joshua Harris. And from 2004 to 2015, he was a pastor of a megachurch in Maryland, the Covenant Life Church. I don't know exactly how big the church is. All I know is it's got a 45-acre campus. The auditorium seats 2,800 people. And there are two overflow sections. He resigned in 2015 because there was a scandal in the church Sexual abuse, not directly involved in it, but there was a heavy criticism in terms of how he handled it and other leaders of the church, obviously. So he resigned from there in 2015. By 2016, he announces that he and his wife are getting divorced. And then subsequently, he came out and said, by no measurement that I measure a Christian, am I any longer a Christian? And that was the end of the statement. So I don't actually know what that means. First of all, you notice he never mentioned Jesus Christ, never claimed to be an atheist, never included Christ in the equation whatsoever. I don't know where he falls in the spectrum. But apparently Christianity has become a country club where you can say, I'm no longer a member. Because that's what he said. I'm no longer a Christian. My point tonight has nothing to do with the apostasy itself. I want to look at what I think some of the common threads behind these situations are. You know, we all sit here, I'm standing here tonight, we all go through struggles in life. I go through Bart's situation, John's situation, Joshua's situation. There's a commonality in the fact that they all had spiritual struggles that they didn't handle properly. You and I, we're in this building, you sit here tonight, I know every single one of us have struggles. Reality is, you know what, I, I'm coming out of a pretty rough time myself. And I'm not talking about some of the struggles that we tend to think of, you know, when you talk about people struggling with uh, substance abuse or sexual sin, fornication, uh, gambling, being a thief, you know, whatever. I'm not talking about the outside sins that are evident to everybody. I'm talking about those struggles with sins that you guys would never see. The same type of uh, spiritual sins that maybe some of you harbor that I never get to see. We come here on our four times a week. We all got the smiles on our faces. Sorry, that's as good as it gets. We all dress up nice, shaking hands, slapping backs. How's it going? Oh, things are going great. When the reality is there might be somebody in this room whose life is just falling apart. And I tell you, you know what? After 32 years, I was kind of guilty of feeling like I was bulletproof to some extent. 
I mean, you know, every single Christian, you go through the Christian life, the devil throws darts at you, you're going to struggle with certain things. The issue, and I will go ahead and tell you the issues so you're not leaving here wondering. Pride. Anger. Bitterness. Envy. Patience. <laughs> Put patience and anger together. Ask Heather about that. I'm not a patient person, and man, that, that wick is pretty short. I've always struggled with those things. I've always had God, you know, kind of having to rein me in and kind of wrestle with me about those things. But for some reason, after 30-some-odd years of being saved, it really came to a boiling point. And for whatever reason, I had troubles getting a handle on it. I didn't get a handle on it for a very long time. Brother Wally has preached this sermon. I've heard him make this statement several times. If you are not careful about how you kind of control those struggles and, and how you control and keep the, the mind and the spirit and everything, just trying your best to keep it where it needs to go, you can find yourself going in some very dark places. I hit some very dark places. You know, it was just a few weeks ago, I actually had lunch with Brother Wally. We sat down. It wasn't the intended topic of conversation. But the topic came up, and I admitted to him just exactly what I admitted to you guys. A few more details that you all don't need to know about. But we had a conversation about this. And Brother Wally gave me some counsel that made me leaving there at least feeling a little bit better about the situation. He reminded me, first of all, that, you know what, everybody goes through this. You cannot go through life and try to be a spiritually minded Christian and not go through these types of situations. And you know, I, go, I start to think about that, and you know, silly me, I actually started looking for answers in the Bible, which to some of this was a little uh, unique. I hadn't done that in a while. But I go through the Bible and I start thinking. You know, you go all the way back to Adam and Eve, I mean, my goodness, look at their struggles. You look at Noah, you know, the only righteous man left on the planet when God destroys the world. And one of the first things you read about him after all the water sells and whatever, he gets drunk and you have the situation with his three sons and, you know, Moses slapping the rock when he wasn't supposed to, can't go into the promised land. King David, I mean, his exploits are legendary, both good and bad. Abraham, you know, one of the champions of faith, didn't always trust God the way he was supposed to. Just as little examples, two separate occasions, his faith was so wavered that he introduced his wife as his sister because he thought he was going to be killed if they knew she was his wife. Two kings thought that, you know, that they would want her and, you know, etc. New Testament, you got Peter denying his Savior. And you have a man that we're going to focus on for the rest of the night. A man that you might have heard of named the Apostle Paul. Now, I'm going to ask that you take your Bibles, turn with me to Romans chapter 7. While you're doing that, let's just give a little recap about what we know about Paul. As I said earlier, you may have heard of him. We know that he was a, uh, you know, very prominent Pharisee in his younger days. We know he's highly educated, and we know he's a Roman soldier. He studied at the feet of Gamaliel, one of the most respected high priests of the time. We know he was also a persecutor of the church, a murderer of Christians. We know in Acts chapter 9 he experienced what may be one of the most miraculous conversions, at least in my memory and, and knowledge. 
We know him for his three missionary journeys. We know him for imprisonments. We know him for being shipwrecked. We know him for having his hand bitten by a viper. We know him for writing approximately half of the books of the New Testament. But you know, we don't always focus, or we, in my experience, we seldom focus on that one little piece of Paul that we're going to see in Romans chapter 7. Now, the first half of chapter 7, Paul goes through and he's explaining the benefits of the law. He's, he's, he's uh, uh, making the contrast between law and grace and, you know, salvation through Christ and what good the law was and so on. And then we're going to get to verse 14. Paul says, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. For that which I do I allow not, for what I would that do I not, but what I hate that do I. If then I do that which I would not, I consent unto the law that it is good. Now then it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. For I know that in me that is in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. For the good that I would I do not, but the evil which I would not that I do. Now if I do that I would not, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. I find then a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man. But I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind, bringing me into, in, into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh the law of sin. You know, I went through a lot of examples of people in the Bible that did great things for God, that we look up to as heroes of the faith, and really messed up in a lot of different ways. Then I look at one of the most faithful individuals that we talk about, we study, we preach, we teach. We look at a man whose, whose life God had touched so richly, so graciously, and here in chapter 7 of Romans, we see that Paul struggled. Now, first of all, I do want you to understand, when you go verses 14 through 25, every time that he's speaking there, he's referring to his situation as present tense. You know, you go back up to verse 40, uh, 14, he says, but I am carnal. And that's not an accident there. If you flip back, or for me, I have to turn a page, maybe you don't, verse 11 you'll see that he is distinguish, distinguishing tenses here. He says, for sin, taking occasion by the commandment, deceived me, past tense, and by it slew me. So one of the things that tells me is that, well, first of all, Paul was a human being. Does that actually surprise anybody in this room? No. Second of all, if we see the Apostle Paul Basically, bearing his soul, opening himself up, saying, yes, I am a sinner. Yes, verse 14, I am carnal. Tells me he's still got struggles he's dealing with. 
And knowing the Apostle Paul, it's probably none of the biggies that we talked about earlier. I don't really seeing, seeing him cheating on his wife. Didn't have one. I don't really seeing him engaging in the whole fornication, the sexual impurities thing. Probably had to deal with, like, you know, every other human being, some internal struggles with some things. But you know what? Everything that Paul saw and everything that he experienced, everything he endured, I'm sure he had to contend with a lot when he talks about the other law in my members warring against the law of my mind. You know, that's what the spiritual battle is all about. You and I have this carnal nature to us, the sin of Adam, that sin nature, it's passed on to us, we live under it, it's a curse, it's a penalty. Ultimately, if you do not know Christ as your Savior, it's a penalty. But you go through this chapter and you can see the persistent torment that Paul allows himself at times to go through. For that which I do, I allow not. For what I would, that do I not. But what I hate, that I do. That's verse 15, by the way. You know, I go through these types of struggles. That's exactly the thing I go through. Paul is reminding us that we as Christian people, our minds, verse 25, wanting to serve the law of God, we know what right and wrong is. If you have any questions about what the Bible says right and wrong is, come to this church more often, listen to Brother Wally or any of our other preachers, and you'll get a good idea. We don't hide those as secrets around here. And God certainly didn't hide those as secrets by the power of His Spirit and the Word. But Paul says there's still this struggle. We know what we should do. We know what we shouldn't do. And there are times that we struggle, whether it's pride, anger, bitterness, whatever, whether it is some type of overt sin, it doesn't really matter what it is, they're all sin, sins, whatever. They all cause the same impact on your relationship with God. When you go through the rest of these verses, it's just this continual back and forth, this struggle and you could tell that there was a lot of conviction that Paul had experienced through the trials, the tribulations, the difficulties that he went through. And by the way, you know, let me just say this. If you believe yourself to be a Christian, and you can sit there or stand there, you know, wherever you're talking to, whomever. Oh, yeah, I got some anger problems. Yeah, I probably got a little bit of an ego. And that stuff doesn't bother you. Brother, you better check out salvation again. You might end up like one of the three guys we talked about earlier. Yeah. Just my humble advice, take it for what it is. So I left that lunch, and I read this chapter, and I felt the comfort of knowing, you know what? I am not alone. Amen. We all go through... So there might be somebody in this room, probably is, going through similar struggles or worse struggles, something that you're having difficulties dealing with, something that you're fighting against God about, and you might be sitting there thinking, you know what? I don't know what's wrong with me. Because nobody else goes through this. Hey, you know what? I'll be the first one. I don't mind standing up here and telling you. I'm going through it with you. And probably some others sitting out there with you are as well. One of the sayings that always sticks out in my mind when in Brother Wally's sermons, the best of men is a man at best. 
You know, I love what Paul says there in verse 24. Oh, wretched man that I am! Exclamation point. You know, it reminds me of the story. you got the publican, you've got the Pharisee. They both go down to pray. The publican's dealing with his own pride and his own ego and talking about how great he is. Literally having the nerve to say, you know, thank God I'm not like this guy. The publican, oh, wretched man that he was, forgive me, God, for I'm a sinner. But you know what? This entire book focuses on our relationship with God. And we know through the rest of chapter 17, or, or chapter 7 as we go verses 14 through 25, we know what all of this does to our relationship with God. This book is about our relationship with God. One of the centerpieces of this book is the gospel. Good news, right? We think of the good news as being exclusively the cross. You know this entire book is gospel? It's all good news. You know Christ is your Savior. If you have a relationship with God, chapter 8, we get a little bit of gospel. Yes, we all struggle. Yes, we all are pushed to the brink sometimes. Yes, there are times when we wrestle with God. And let me tell you something. You go back to Genesis, you read that story where Jacob wrestles with God. You know, sometimes, spiritually speaking, that is as rough as it gets. I told you there were some dark places, and I'll tell you what, God never let go of me one time. And I'll tell you what, I'm thankful for that. I am glad that we have a patient, loving, and forgiving God. So I'll tell you what, I wouldn't have put up with me. That's why I'm not God. Among other reasons. But we go into chapter 8. And here's the good news part of this. There is thou, uh, therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin condemned sin in the flesh that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled us or might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh but after the spirit for they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh but they that are after the spirit the things of the spirit for to be carnally minded is death but to be spiritually minded is life and peace because the carnal mind is enmity against God. For it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. Let's give you my own little short summary about this, okay? We all struggle. We all feel conviction. We all wrestle. Probably we all at some point kind of push away from God. I know I did. You know, I'll tell you the worst part of all this. This is a statement that I will probably remember 
And actually, I kind of hope I remember it until my deathbed. One night I'm going through something a little rough, just dealing with some of the, you know, the pride issues, the anger issues. And, you know, and a lot of that's all tied together anyway. If somebody makes you angry, it's because your pride got hurt. We all know how that works. But I was dealing with something and ranting and raving and carrying on. Those of you in here that know me, it's not possible, but it happens. Heather said you need to turn that over to God. And I actually said, I don't want to. I have never been at a lower point spiritually in my life. And you know, if I had just snapped out of that long before then and wanted to, I wouldn't have had to go through some of the stuff I went through. Because that's the promise here that, that God's telling us in chapter 8 through the hand of Paul. You know, you look at verse 1, and this is a very famous verse, and we take it and we put this general application to it as it comes to salvation. And obviously it's a very appropriate application. It says, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Well, we went back, we read through chapter 7, that last half of chapter 7. We know that the things that are bad inside of us is the flesh. We know that every single one of us, you have the Spirit of God inside of you if you're a Christian, but you also have that natural flesh. You cannot get rid of that. All you can do is do your best to crucify it the best you can with Christ and hope you can, you know, stay walking in the Spirit. But either way, it is actually your choice and your decision. Sometimes we go for long periods of time and we just want to walk in the flesh. Some of that feels good, some of it feels bad, but for whatever reason, we don't want to walk in the Spirit, we don't want anything to do with God, and here we go. But see, those are all choices. The ramification of the choice here in verse 1, not only is there no condemnation that are saved, but there's also no condemnation or judgment in your daily life as a Christian person when you make the choice to walk in Christ. And if you really want to understand what I'm talking about, you go through a long extended period of time when you are not walking with God and you pay attention to how bad you feel, you pay attention to how bitterness grows inside of you, how hatred builds up inside of you, how angry you get. And here's the really strange part. The anger you get at the world, the anger you get at yourself, you're angry at yourself for getting angry at the world. Then the more angry you get at yourself, the angrier you get at the world. You see the loop I'm talking about here? But if you're in Christ Jesus, walking not after the flesh but after the Spirit, you don't have to deal with that. You're not experiencing that daily judgment of God and when I say daily judgment, I don't mean that, you know, every single day you're getting hit upside the head with a lightning bolt or, you know, whatever we tend to think of as judgment. It's judgment just going through this. It's such a miserable feeling. And I have a feeling I'm preaching that to people in here that know. Many of you, most of you, some of you, I don't know. But when you make that choice to walk after the flesh... You know, verse 2, 
The spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. You want to figure out how to get rid of that sin in your life? Whether it's pride, whether it's ego, whether it's anything else. Embrace the life or the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. Because that's the only way you're going to have freedom. When you're going through these struggles, when you're dealing with these things and God's got a grab on you, He won't let go. You go into panic mode. And unfortunately, when many of us go into panic mode, we don't instinctively go where we should go as Christian people. Where should we instinctively go as Christian people when we hit panic mode? God, Christ, Holy Spirit, however you want to say it, we all get it, right? We go to ourselves. The brain becomes like a car stuck in mud. I've got to figure out a way to get out of this. Okay, well, that's not working. I've got to think harder. Well, that didn't work, and I've got to try harder. And God's just up there, just, you know, first of all, I truly believe it pains and hurts Him when we put ourselves through this. Because first of all, He knows we don't have to do it. Second of all, He loves us. He doesn't want to see us go through it. Third of all, He has promised us joy in Christ. He just waits around and, you know, just, just give it here. Quit beating yourself up. Quit thinking about it so hard. Just bring it here. But it all circles around to verse 6 and 7. Paul, who just in the chapter before said that he is carnal, and I don't think he was implying, by the way, I didn't mean to imply that at that particular point in time he was not walking as a mature, you know, committed Christian. I think he was just admitting some of the shortcomings of his own struggles. But in verse 6 of chapter 8 he says, For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Why? Verse 7, because the carnal mind is enmity against God. For it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. I want you to follow this trail for a second, okay? You're dealing with some sin or sins in your life. You're struggling with them. You're resisting God. You're pushing against His conviction. Verse 6 I mean, you know, Paul told us in chapter 7 that's, that, that we're, we're carnal when we're acting that way. Verse 6 of chapter 8, when you're carnally minded, that's death. Death, of course, meaning separation. doesn't mean you just drop dead on the spot. It means that your relationship with God is interrupted. There's that separation there. Check. Been there. Probably have two. The other side of that coin is to be spiritually minded is life and peace. The carnal mind, we're reminded in seven, is enmity against God. He does not like when we walk and live in the carnal mind. Because when you act and walk in the carnal mind, you're not subjecting yourself to Him. God doesn't really ask a lot, all things considered. 
I mean, he gave his only begotten son, died on a cross, rose the third day. The expectations on the flip side are actually relatively not that onerous. But he does expect that we be subject to his law. So then they are in the flesh, cannot please God. You ever wonder why your Christian walk is so lousy right now? Are you really walking with the spirit that you're supposed to be walking with? Well, okay, you know, all this is great. Now, how do I fix it? Turn to James chapter 4. We're going to read some verses real quick. My time is elapsing like the sands of the hourglass or whatever that old show was. These are very well-known verses, and yet, you know what? They are some of the hardest verses to, to actually think about, concentrate on, and apply. James 4, verse 5. Do you think that the Scripture saith in vain, the spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth to envy? But he giveth more grace. Wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be afflicted and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. Let me give you a clue as to step one on all this. That unfortunately we have to learn the hard way sometimes. It's just like the alcoholic. It's just like the drug user. You cannot fix the problem until you recognize and admit what the problem is. If you are in such a state where you are so proud and you are so haughty and you are lifting yourself up so much that you don't even realize you need to be humbled by God, you're going to be struggling for a while. But the recipe is simple once you actually recognize it from that point. God does give grace unto the humble. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord. He will lift you up. You cannot lift yourself up. We stay in our problems because we keep trying to elevate ourselves. I don't care how good you are. You can't do it. But God can. Draw nigh to Him. He's going to draw nigh to you. You're going to draw nigh to Him because His Spirit is convicting you to do it. But you notice there in verse 8, you have to make that first move. Until you are willing to take that first step and say, okay, God, I humble myself. Now I want to come close. The arms are open. He takes you back in. And then that word that none of us like, verse 7, submit. How much should I submit myself to God when I told Heather that I didn't want to give something to him? Mm, not hard to figure out that math. You don't submit yourself, you can't resist the devil. Those two are there in the same paragraph. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Period. Resist the devil, he will flee from you. If you're not willing to submit to God, you know what? You're just putting your arms down, letting the devil take the pot shots. And as I have discovered over 32 years, you and I are powerless to defend ourselves. James chapter 1, then I'm done. I've given you the recipe, now let's learn how to make the final product. 
James uh, chapter 1, verse 5, If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, that giveth to all men liberally, and abradeth not, and it shall be given him. But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering, for he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. For let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. You know, we talk a lot about prayer. We take prayer for granted. Sometimes we use prayer to kind of rub the, the genie lamp and hoping God will poof out and give us three wishes. That's a new one for me. I used to call him the spiritual Santa Claus. So I was trying something new on you guys. I hope you liked it. But you know, prayer is the main part of this whole equation. If you don't humble yourself and ask of God, He's not going to give you anything. And when you do ask for it, you better ask for it with full faith. This is not a Hail Mary at the Super Bowl. God, I know you can do this. You have saved the worst of sinners. You have healed the blind. You have raised the dead. You have cured those of cancer. I know you can straighten me out. Verse 5. He will give to you liberally when you call upon Him to do this. If you're struggling with something tonight, it's interfering with your walk with God. You don't have to leave here with that still weighing you down. You can humble yourself, give it over to God and say, okay, God, restore me. You don't have to end up as an example in some guy's sermon you know, down the road about people who fell away from the faith. You can be an example like Paul and Peter and all these great heroes of the Bible that were restored in the name of Christ. Of course, right there is where it starts. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, I'm speaking Greek to you right now. You struggle with stuff because Christians and non-Christians struggle with stuff. You don't even have God in your life to help you straighten it out. Jesus died so you could be free from sin. All you have to do is trust that He died and rose again for you. Brother Wally.